Welcome back to Geek Life, the Indie Comics Podcast on Pandamanga.com. I'm your host, JP. As always with me are my fearless co-hosts, Joe. I hear seabirds. Are they everywhere and they don't know they're seabirds? Yes. And Marcus. I see hairbirds. <laughs> Deal with that. Uh, Welcome well, back to the well Geek played, Life Podcast. Well Here we go. Today we have a special treat. Recently, friend of the Geek Life Podcast, Kim Holm, all the way over in Norway, sent me an email and hooked me up with his most recent comic book work. Well, not really a comic book. It's a little different than normal, but what we normally talk about here. But we so enjoyed Kim's last project that he sent us over, which was his adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's Pickman's Model short story, which was phenomenal. Mm. Absolutely phenomenal. Terrifying. Terrifying. We will put a link to that in the show notes, as well as links relevant to this particular episode. Uh, and a link to the, to the Haynes website so you can buy yourself some new underwear after you read that book. Because it's so amazing. It is. It's really incredible. It's one of probably my favorite, favorite comics we've read, if you can even call it a comic. It's just, it's such an excellent, excellent work. Anyway, so as soon as I saw that there was an email from Kim in the inbox, I was like, okay, <laughs> what has he done for us now? This guy is a complete okay, badass. Okay, what have you done? So recently, Kim participated in the also 24-hour comic challenge from the 11th to 12th of June in 2014. He went directly to Inc. Naturally. Naturally. And uh, he says in the future he's looking forward to doing more of Lovecraft's prose poems in the same vein. So essentially what he, uh, what he did this time is he illustrated a page per passage, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not a real long comic, uh, not a real long poem. The poem is called Memory, penned by H.P. Lovecraft. And before we get started talking about the art and really talking about the story, I would like to read the poem in its entirety. It's not real long. So we'll just bounce around the room and have you guys read it. I realized after I read through the illustrated poem that he sent us, right, I found that because of the way that it's broken up, I didn't understand the story as well as I would have liked to. And so I went and read the whole poem just the way that it was meant to be read originally, and then went back and read it and really feel like I had a much better grip on things. So that, that I think, is, is, a, is a good idea. So recommended, if you guys go check out this poem, this uh, illustrated poem, which we will recommend highly because it's really great. And we'll put links, of course, in the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. Um, go ahead and find this, this poem, just the Lovecraft's memory. And maybe I'll put a link to somewhere that it's hosted on the internet. Uh, but go ahead and read it in its entirety and then read this comic. I think that's really the best way to really to really do it. Because then you're a little bit familiar with the story. And then as he reads, you know, as he as he does this this amazing dark scratchy font and then couples that with really incredible imagery, it it, it feels like it makes a little more sense as a story. So why don't we go ahead and start reading Memory by H.P. Lovecraft. In the valley of Nis, the accursed waning moon shines thinly, tearing a path for its light with feeble horns through the lethal foliage of a great upas tree. And within the depths of the valley, where the light reaches not, moves forms not meant to be beheld. Rank is the herbage of each slope, where evil vines and creeping plants crawl amidst the stones of ruined palaces twining tightly about broken columns and strange monoliths, and heaving up marble pavements laid by forgotten hands. And in trees that grow gigantic in crumbling courtyards leap little apes, while in and out of deep treasure vaults writhe poison serpents and scaly things without name. 
Vast are the stones which sleep beneath coverlets of dank moss, and mighty were the walls from which they fell. For all time did their builders erect them, and in sooth they yet serve nobly, for beneath them the grey toad makes his habitation. At the very bottom of the valley lies the river Than. Those waters are slimy and filled with weeds. From hidden springs it rises, and to subterranean grottos it flows, so that the demon of the valley knows not why its waters are red, nor whither they are bound. The genie that haunts the moonbeams spake to the demon of the valley, saying, I am old and forget much. Tell me the deeds and aspects and name of them who built these things of stone. And the demon replied, I am memory, and I am wise in the lore of the past. But I too am old. These beings were like the waters of the river Than, not to be understood. Their deeds I recall not, for they were but the moment. Their aspect I recall dimly, for it was like to that of the little apes in the trees. Their name I recall clearly, for it rhymed with that of the river. These beings of yesterday, they were called man. So the genie flew back to the thin horned moon, and the demon looked intently at a little ape in a tree that grew in a crumbling courtyard. Very Lovecraftian, surprise, mm. surprise, being that it was written by Lovecraft. What an interesting story. So as we always do, we'll go ahead and break the works that we talk about on this podcast into two parts. First, we talk about the writing and the story, and then we'll talk about the art. Now, the writing and the story we won't spend as much time on today, considering that it's not of the artist that mm. we're specifically covering, but we will give it a reasonable amount of time because it is worth talking about. Mm. The great H.P. Lovecraft is always something that I enjoy or someone that I enjoy talking about. For those of you that aren't familiar with H.P. Lovecraft, was an American author who achieved posthumous fame through his influential works in horror fiction. Virtually unknown and only published in pulp magazines before he died in poverty, he's now regarded as one of the most significant 20th century authors of his genre. That's just a little excerpt from the Wikipedia page about H.P. Lovecraft. There's a lot of information about him there and elsewhere on the internet. If you're interested in H.P. Lovecraft, I highly recommend checking out the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast at hppodcraft.com. little shout-out to Chris Lackey and Chad Pfeiffer. You guys completely rock, and we love your podcast. Also, go ahead and check out the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society at cthululives.com.org. I don't remember which one it is. Did you guys know that the Disney movie Bambi is actually based off of an H.P. Lovecraft poem? No shit. No, that's not true. I made that up. <laughs> I'm a gullible motherfucker. All right. That was good. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the story of memory. It's, a, it's an interesting story, right? I, I mean, don't really know what just happened. You don't really notice what happened? Uh, to me, it feels like a Lovecraftian apocalypse story. Yeah. Right? It's a very pensive. It's very dark. There's cyclopean architecture and monoliths and old courtyards and mm -hmm. evil things that shall not be seen or described. It's, it's very Lovecraftian. Oprah's trees. Mm. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what that is. Is that a thing? Or is he just making that shit up? It's probably it's a, gotta thing. Be a thing. Upastri. Upa. I, 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 I wanted to say Oompa Loompa really bad. Did you just probably have an R in it? Uperus? Uperus? We, we're looking it up, I think, from different websites. And so we each have a slightly different wording here and there. And there was one part we were fighting. We're like, it says four. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Oh, internet. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's it's very, again, it's, it's very Lovecraftian. It has that sort of rich description 
his stuff is always very sort of morbid and dark mm-hmm. and it paints a very vivid picture of this and this one wasn't incredibly kind of morbid like it definitely had the dark but it had this very casual I guess so. I mean, it is. It's it's it's, it's describing yeah. kind of a moment in time. Yeah, you know? the the two elder demons. You know, after they've destroyed all life on Earth, they're like, "Oh, do so you think that the those demons are the ones that destroyed it?" Or you think? I mean, the genie's like, "What happened, demon? I don't remember. I'm just chilling on the moon." Yeah. Well, okay, no, so it's it, not it's, just me. You guys don't quite know exactly yeah. what happened either. No, I it, think it's been this is so long that it's like I'm old. I've forgotten. So I am memory. I remember. Uh, oh, that's true. That's true. Right. I mean, to, to me, it feels like it's it's a conversation of two incredibly powerful ancient beings that have lived so long that they don't remember the de- one of them anyway doesn't remember the details of of how things were long ago, mm-hmm. and it's it's his sort of stab at a kind of apocalyptic, pensive tale. Yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting. I I mean, it has that very weird fiction like dun 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 moment yeah. where he's like. It reminds, you know, and, their name. and the name was man, <laughs> you know, that's very, that rhymed know. with the river than, <laughs> than or than. I want to say, maybe we should have said than I'm going to say, who cares? Dr. Seuss was supposed to be inspired by HP Lovecraft. I don't get the connection. Really? Yeah. You know, I could see that. I, I yeah. Mean, I could see that. Dr. Seuss's stuff is very odd. And Lovecraft stuff is very odd. I'm sorry. I love tentacles. That's not true. I just fucking made that up. You're a bastard. <laughs> You're a bastard. <laughs> I could see the tentacles ago. and the upas tree. Yeah. I don't know anything about H.P. Lovecraft. I'm just having fun. You're just the, a dick. <laughs> the Lorax was, you know, actually. The Lorax was based off Cthulhu. Yeah. Everyone knows that. If you say the it mustache. See, yeah. I'm your friend and I'm going to trust you. And you look at me <laughs> straight face and be like, did you know that. <laughs> Lilo and Stitch was based on a Lovecraft story. I'd be like, no kidding. <laughs> I'd be like, you'd be like, no, it wasn't. And the valley of the nice. The cursed winning moon shines thinly. Ohana means family. <laughs> you're just, you're just terrible. Don't be disrespectful to Lovecraft. The, the internet will eat you and then take you into a dark dimension and then probably do things with tentacles. That's, mm-hmm. that's definitely very Lovecraftian, the tentacles. I'm not being disrespectful. I'm being ignorant. <laughs> and having fun with it. No, you know, if you haven't really read any Lovecraft, you should check it out. It's, there's some stuff that's really, really good. It's definitely dated at this point, considering the time that it was yeah. being written, but it you is... You mean like they use like Sony Walkmans and stuff? No, yeah. it's downright Victorian. Yeah. They're yeah. talking like this, eh? Yeah, meow, say meow. I know, I just... I thought the Sony Walkmans was funny. <laughs> so You're just tired. a bad person, Marcus. You're just a terrible human being. So, but I like that Joe was like, no, no, no. Before that, before the Walkmans, it was like talking to you totally seriously. <laughs> no one else remembers it. Marcus thinks everyone, you know, before 1970, I'll talk like gangsters. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Same no, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting little poem. I mean, again, it's there's not a lot to say story wise because it is short. It's a little poem. It's a short poem. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that I can understand why Kim chose to use this poem as inspiration for art because there's a lot of very strong imagery suggested mm-hmm. by it. Uh, you know, especially later on, and I know we're not talking about art right now, but later on, he goes from using all just black ink on a white canvas, and then he goes to adding a little red when mm-hmm. they mention. The, the first mention of blood. Yeah, the first mention of, of blood. Right, this is... The river From no hidden one. springs it rises to the subterranean grottos it flows, you know. The demon of the valley knows not why its waters are red, nor whither they are bound. Like, that is such a great opportunity for a really cool piece, you mm-hmm. know. 
For the listeners who uh, don't see the behind-the-scenes fun that we're having upstairs right now, um, when I read my portion of it, John had to correct me because I said Grotos like seven times before he was like, dude, it's Grotos. Come on. I just, I like the talk. So I should have just, just it left run. it in there. It would have been really funny. Grotos. Oh, Marcus. Yeah, so I mean, again, like I said, I could really see why Kim was drawn to this particular one. You know, a lot of a lot of Lovecraft stuff have really a lot of Lovecraft's work has a lot of very clear imagery that he describes in you know in really beautiful prose, and it's probably one of my favorite things about his work. It paints this incredibly detailed and very vivid picture in your mind, and especially for someone who does a lot of storytelling about things that are unspeakable or not meant to be seen or you know from some horrible dimension or literally a color that is from you know you know that you can't possibly understand or describe you know like it's it's you know cosmic terror and things and it's it's uh it's crazy because he does such a good job of making you feel like you know you're there i mean that's what weird fiction is all about which is sort of his genre weird fiction is about creating a profound sense of wrongness in the you know the spirit of the reader and I think that he successfully does that in, you know, very short order with memory. So successful poem for sure from an incredible writer and lots of really great imagery that is just ripe for the picking for uh, someone to do a really interesting painting of and, and work. So looking forward to talking about the art after we get back from the break. You're listening to Geek Life. Stick with us. to Geek Life, the Indie Comics Podcast on Pandamanga.com. We're talking about Memory, written by H.P. Lovecraft, illustrated by Kim Holm. Before we continue on talking about the art of Memory, I think Joe has a book he'd like to recommend. The Geek Life Podcast is sponsored by Audible. You can visit audibletrial.com forward slash geeklife to get your free audiobook download and try one month of Audible's awesome service. You get 30% off of their whole catalog, which is like 200,000 plus books at this point. How many percent? 30%. 30%. What, what? So many percent. So many's. 
Yeah, it's great. It's a great service. You know, we we joke and we kid and we, you know we joke, we kid, but we like pretty much everybody in this room has an Audible account and mm-hmm. uses it. All the Everyone time. we know, pretty much. Yeah, everyone. I know. Really, it's it's pretty great. <laughs> so we we definitely enjoy. We it. all so, brag about what we spend our credits on. Yes, yeah, so, and then we're we're constantly talking about whether or not we should say we read or we listened to, mm. and we just we decide, enjoyed. We, yeah, who cares? Yeah. So, Joe, what did you enjoy listening to recently from Audible? I recently plugged into Embedded by Dan Abnett. Uh, why I picked it up, Dan Abnett is a comic book writer that I thoroughly enjoy. He wrote the Annihilation series that I push on everybody. That's Marvel's big space epic. Tell me That's more. kind of the origin of the Guardians of the Galaxy coming up in film. Shortly. Really, really. Mm-hmm. So definitely an author you're familiar with. Oh, yeah. Very much. So this, this, so you you were drawn to this book specifically because of the author, not even because of what it's about, or well, originally just because of the author, but but then you were like, oh man, it's amazing. So tell me about yeah. the story. So originally I was drawn to the author, but then read the plot summary, which is the colony planet of eighty six looks as dull as all its fellow new worlds to veteran journalist Lex Falk, but when a local squabble starts to turn violent and the media starts getting the runaround from the military high command, his interest is seriously piqued. Forbidden from approaching the battle zone, he gets himself chipped inside the head of a combat veteran and uncovers the story of a lifetime. When the soldier is killed, however, Falk must use all his resourcefulness to get safely back home again and blow the lid off the whole damn thing. That sounds really interesting. So we're talking like, dystopian future planet colonization sci-fi sort of stuff not dystopian but definitely future planet colonization two main fractions of humanity have gone off and they've kind of poked at each other but no full-scale war like what is currently brewing in this story so are we talking like earth versus colonies or is it two colonies fighting each other yeah two colonies that's nice that's a new or not new but that's that's a refreshing angle because a lot of the time the kind of colonization stuff it's all you know earth versus the colonies yeah yeah but this is the um the democratic colonization crew and the communist colonization crew have gone out for you know thousands of years and now their planets when they kind of find something they they both want will peck at each other over and eventually just sort of you know amiably divvy up the spoils but, but the, serious war is coming. Serious war is coming. And this journalist has, like I said, chipped himself into the brain. So what does a, that mean exactly? Remote viewing. He is in a, what are they called? The tanks. Father Robot? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, kind, yeah. Of like last, kind of like last week's podcast. That's what got me Father thinking Robot, about right? this particular book. Interesting, interesting. So he's remote viewing through this veteran soldier until the soldier is killed in which instance, now the journalist is the only one in control of this body. and So the soldier's killed, but he's basically like a zombie now and he can control him? Not, well, he's more or less brain dead. The can, body's still why, alive. Why but, can't he just unplug and get back into his own body? Uh, he could, but he is actually injured going into this, and the strain of pulling him out will kill them both. Interesting, interesting. Mm. And So he really has to just bring the body back, otherwise he's a dead man. Well, they figure out how to bring him out, but uh, he is so into the story at that point that if, like, they're uncovering something big at this point. There's never been a war in the history of these two fractions, you know, being out in space. 
And so he is on the ground floor of breaking the biggest story in journalism history. Freaking ever. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. That sounds like a really cool story. So, again, what was the title? And, and this author? is Embedded by Dan Abnett. Dan Abnett. All right. Well, mm-hmm. Embedded by Dan Abnett is a good place to start. If you're interested in checking that book out, you can get it for free by going to audibletrial.com forward slash geeklife and signing up for your free one-month trial there. You can get this book for free. That sounds like a really good place to start. Good recommendation, Joe. Yeah. All right, so on to the comic of the day, or I guess the work, the art of the day. Talking about memory, written by H.P. Lovecraft, inked by Kim Holm over the 24-hour comic. Like, that's really cool. I am always blown away when someone does a 24-hour comic that's so awesome that it's worth like actually talking about. It's more than just an exercise Mm -hmm. for the artist. Because that, I think, really is what 24-hour comic stuff was originally about. It was about, you know, a marathon, a sort of challenge to overcome for an artist, to really put something together, create a story, create all of the comic, pencil it, ink it, however you want to do it, and then, you know, in a 24-hour period, make an entire entire issue. Like, that's that's some work, man. That's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, for anybody that has actually created comic pages and and worked on comic books before like that's a ton i mean i i it's it's insane really yeah you know like you could never expect a like a normal quality level comic book to come out of a 24-hour period and so whenever something comes out as a result of a 24-hour comic book challenge it's always mind-blowing to me when it's really has some value because you think i thought about it when i was first hearing about it it's like that sounds like a great challenge but i doubt anything that comes from that is really awesome it's probably just an amazing experience to overcome, like climbing a mountain or finishing a marathon for an artist. But uh, yeah, so Kim Holm proved us wrong. <laughs> Kim being the badass that he is. So what he's done here is he's basically gone page by page. And I think this is really meant to be seen printed so that you can see the text on one side of the page mm-hmm. and then the image on the other. Very much like an illustrated manuscript of some kind, right? Like a child's book or something. You could imagine this is a dark child's book, but... I read this on my computer, and my PDF reader actually did separate it into two-page chunks. Right, right. So I got to read it like that. Nice. Mind you, too, but for some reason it, like, mixed the pages and the text up somehow, so... Really? Yeah, anyway. But, (laughs) yeah, so, um, yeah, it's really definitely meant to be seen that way. And so as I'm looking at it on my tablet here, it's definitely missing something because I wish I could see the text and the image at the same time. Mm. But basically what you've got here is on the left side of your page, you've got this sort of scribbled, you know, fevered, like like the writing of a madman kind of in his final throes before he's about to commit suicide or something. It's very, it has this very kind of creepy feel for this in this font, right? And it's all, it's all obviously done by hand. Ink, you know, I think is the medium here. Ink and pen, you know, looks like ink and brush and maybe pen nib. And I don't even know. I mean, it's... It's insane. And, and there's like there's splotchiness to it. It's very hurriedly written. It looks like, like, again, looks like somebody's, you know, kind of scribbling out their fevered thoughts in, the, you know, in like a hurry. Right. And so it has this intensity, this sense of urgency in, in just the very, the script itself. And what happens is, this, again, like I said, the pages are split up between like a, a section, a passage from the prose poem. And on the other side is an illustration representing that passage. And the illustrations are very gestural. They're not super hyper detailed. They're very much like an ink brush drawing. It's it's all about sort of emotion and energy and movement and things like that. But it's really neat. And right right out of the gate, you can see that we're headed in, a, in an interesting sort of dark direction. And I think one of the things that stood out to me big time on that first page is all the different ways that Kim uses to create texture on this mountain valley with the creepy sliver 
you know, dual horned moon mm-hmm. floating in the sky and this mountain range in the distance with, you know, sparse foliage around the edges. And, and if you look closely, you can actually see like thumbprints making texture in there, which I thought was really interesting. He's a very skilled artist and is doing lots of interesting, you know, things. And obviously, obviously, you know, drawing in a rush because it's in a 24 hour comic challenge, but still able to create this really incredible work. What do you, what did you guys think of the art for this? I, uh, to play devil's advocate, actually didn't think this was as uh, successful, especially when as successful as what his first one. Well, no, of course not. What was that first one called? Pikmin's model. Pikmin's model was absolutely amazing. And he set the bar for himself really high, sure. whether it be for a 24 hour comic book day challenge or not. I was expecting something of that level and I got really, really excited. So it could be that my hopes were a little high. Yeah, I do. I do think that he a little bit spoiled us with Pikmin's model. Pikmin's model was just so good. It was just right. so, it's so good. I mean, really, truly hands down one of the best things we've read. And what I found was that uh, I felt like some of the art in this was a little more abstract and I am not usually a big fan of the abstract. I like to be able to see things pictorial and things that absolutely represent certain things. And then when they did switch to images that were pictorial, it felt out of place and a little cheesy. Like the, the apes that were swinging from the trees, mm-hmm. they seemed very, very like cookie cutouts, you know, like, and I, sure. I understand the, yeah. the skill that it must have. so gestural. And then the apes looked like apes. Yeah. yeah it, I understand that it, it took a certain amount of skill to mm-hmm. leave those out white because it doesn't look like he went over it with white out. So those must've been left out white in order to make those shapes. And that's always hard when you're doing like a silhouette kind of thing. Like exactly. That. But I feel like it's just not in keeping with the same tone that he's had the entire uh, 24 hour comic book day project thus far up to that page. Mm-hmm. So there's some sort of artistic inconsistency with the way he's describing things. At first, it's very, very impressionistic, very gestural. You know, there's a lot of motion feeling. You know, you can, when you first see the picture of the of the valley, you can almost imagine like the trees being brushed back and forth by like a gentle wind or something. You know, there's it feels not static, not like a silhouette of something. It's not crisp, clear imagery. It's very sort of. Like you said, it's very gestural, you know. There's and there's some pages in there that I definitely am a big fan of. There's some pages that I feel like would be really, really nice standalone pieces of artwork. They totally. didn't even need the poem to accompany them. Not that I'm not a fan of the poem, I just don't quite understand it. <laughs> um but I mean it, you know, the Lovecraft stuff, just as a quick segue, Lovecraft stuff appeals to a group of people. And then and if you're not in that group of people, if you're not into the weird fiction, it's not for you. It's just not. And I'm not surprised that somebody in the room is kind of like, ah, it's not for me. Because Lovecraft can be kind of a divisive subject. You know, there's people that are like, well, it's great. And there's the people that are like, ah, he is, you know, ah, he's just overblown. Everybody thinks he's so cool and he's, he's not shit. You well, know, that's even not... more so than, than, you know, Lovecraft versus not Lovecraft, the subject can be broadened to poetry versus prose because in yeah. Pikmin's model it's a story that's being told yeah. with the characters and setting and this is is poetry and sometimes poetry kind of goes off the deep end in my opinion and <laughs> right. I, I don't always follow or, or care to try to follow where they're taking it. Um, this could be one of those cases. Well, you know, this is definitely a divergence from our normal routine, the yeah. things we tend to talk about, but I really liked Pikmin's model. I really respect and appreciate Kim's work. And I wanted to talk about it. I definitely think that if you are a like, hey, I'm here to read comic books, comic books and more comic books. I don't care about anything else. I just want comic books. Then this really isn't for you. But if you're someone who really appreciates artwork, really appreciates and let alone is you know familiar with or willing to give some compassion to someone who's trying to create something in 24 hours all at once like that. Like, I really feel like that's pretty cool. 
But again, it is definitely different from our normal our normal subject. This is definitely not a comic book. This is, you know, this is a this is a really kind of experimental. Yeah, which I think is worth supporting. I think it's really interesting. But it's yeah, you're mixed right. It's medium. Mixed, yes, exactly. Joe, what, how did how did the art stand out to you? What did you think about the art? You know, it varied for me. There were a couple of spots where the gestural mingled with very definitive. Like you can see the stonework or sure. the the buildings crumbling in the background, but there was enough of the gestural and the in the variance and contrast that it made very interesting and compelling artwork that worked with the poem that was being told and the part of the poem that was being told. And then there are some that looked like it was just all the gestural and had nothing to do with the part of the story and kind of took me out of it. But sure. for the most part, there was the story that's being told and the artwork portraying it really worked for me. In, in you know, the continuity of, of the artwork, uh, as I'm flipping through the pages, one of the things that I kind of wish had been uh, toned down a little bit was the red. Because on the first page, that the text actually mentions, you know, the river of blood, and then it shows that beautiful red spot in the middle of it. It was very... It's very sparse. It's, it's, yeah, Schindler's List, you know, pops out at you versus all the black and white that's been there thus far. And then it's on the next page, too. And it's sort of a letdown It becomes sort of I, like, a, like a dual chromatic story all of a sudden instead of black with red accents it's really black and red now mm -hmm. yeah i mean it for me to see it on that one page it sort of this might sound stupid but it, it made it seem special for that one page sure. and it made it stand out as something like oh that's really cool i'm gonna remember so you wish it was just there and nowhere else. i just wish it was just there and nowhere else because yeah. then like, like i said later on in the story it's it's pretty much every page after that and sometimes it seems almost unnecessarily so i think that one of the places he uses it that I I'm okay with him using it is in the eyes of what I'm imagining is is his it's impression the of the demon. Yeah. I think that works really well. Uh, you know, I don't think that it's really necessary to have it in and around and involved in other things. You know, the background and things like that. But I I like black, red, and white. I think that's a very stark and strong imagery, and mm -hmm. I'd be fine if the whole comic was black, red, and white. And I think it's kind of cool how he starts with just black and white. And then as soon as a passage comes along that is specifically talking about red in the river, obviously blood, mm -hmm. and then there's a little, a little hint of red. And then yeah. as you get deeper into dealing with the demon talking to the genie and, and it starts to have more and more and more red, I feel like the more and more red, instead of, hey, that's not what I was expecting from yeah. what was happening earlier, I feel like it starts to add to the mood of sort of a growing in intensity, which may be where he was headed with that. Fair now, enough. Now, if it had gone all the way, like started transitioning from, you know, black and white to black and white with the touch of red to black and white with more red to black and red with a little bit of white to then just, just like black just and red. And, yeah. Just red and white, you think? Some and then point, eventually well, just red and black. Oh, OK. Yeah. That would have been I would have appreciated that much yeah. more. Yeah. Like if it was a subtle transition. Sure. Did you guys notice that there is a hint of what looks like an atom bomb going off at one point yes. in here? Mm hmm. Which is cool because that's totally not something that Lovecraft would be thinking about, yeah. <laughs> you know. But it, yeah, it's these two gods same. Yeah, I don't remember what their deal was. Right. Yeah, and so I mean, basically, it's these two ancient beings reminiscing about the you know broken down old society and this mm -hmm. ancient architecture that comes from these you know these creatures, this yeah. this man, and. I think that's one of the things that's really interesting when someone reaches back into history and pulls what really at this point is 
is, you know, it's older literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uses that as inspiration and looks at it through the lens of an artist, of a mind, of a person who's who's from a different time. And they have access to imagery, really powerful imagery like that mushroom cloud. You know, it's 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 neat because obviously Lovecraft never would have thought to to add that in in any kind of imagery companion to yeah. his work. He was dead before the first A-bomb. Exactly. And so it's I think that that was one of the things that was really a high point for me in this particular kind of media, right, is where or this particular kind of fusion of old writing and and uh, in a new sort of perspective on it. Mm. I think that was really cool. So that stuck to me in a huge way. And I really like that page a lot. I think it's really neat. I love the way that he does the little silhouettes of the buildings and how it has this sort of splattered coming apart of the seams look that things take on a different shape, a different sort of mm-hmm. composition, seemingly that, you know, things that were once hard become almost liquid, like things that were strong become dust in the presence of something like that. And I think that it's, it's well described in this page. I think that's really cool. So th- this page is one of my favorites. We are really polar opposites on a lot on, the, on this particular piece, just because that actually, to me, was like answering an unanswered question that was intentionally unanswered. Like the idea of the guys that don't know mm. why it is what it is. And then to me, that's like him saying, this is why. And he put the answer in there where there wasn't supposed to be an answer. Hmm. True. I could see that. So you're saying that part of what makes the poem successful is the ambiguity well, and that's, I mean, from what I've for you. learned about Lovecraft from you guys, that's one of the the, the, the more beautiful things about is it the his literature, is it the unknown, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. That's an interesting perspective. I like that. Yeah, you know, you're right. That might be robbing a little bit of the power of the Lovecraftian sort of ambiguity, and, and it is. It's like that. A lot of his work is kind of, he hints at something and lets your mind take it over and make it worse than he could ever actually describe it. And so to put it, you know, clearly like that, that's true. Although I do, I do kind of like the fact that you could legitimately be talking about a nuclear explosion in a Lovecraft story. I think that's kind of great. It's a good, and it's, it's good artwork. That being said, that's a great page. That's one of the pages that I can appreciate, you know, artistic wise. That's just a really great page. I think the final thing that I want to say about the art is I really liked the page where he was talking about where the poem starts to talk about the toad, I want to say, right? Oh, yeah. Where there's this great shot of basically as if you were imagining a camera panning down and looking at this valley and seeing the foliage and the and the ruins and stuff. And then there's this great shot. It's almost hard to understand what's happening on this, but I saw on the bottom these two, two carefully placed white dots in this sort of cavernous darkness. And I looked down and I saw these two little white dots and I thought, man, that looks like eyes hiding in this cave. But who knows, maybe that's not what he was going for. And then the next page of illustration, it's super clear that it's, it is the eyes of this, this evil, awful gray toad thing. So that was really cool. Anyway, so I think by and large, very successful artistically, uh, mm-hmm. super impressive considering the constraints of the 24-hour comic challenge. So again, thank you, Kim, for sending this to us. We really, again, enjoyed your work. And we obviously are waiting with bated breath for your next Pikmin's model-like work. Because that, man, that was something special. If you'd like to learn more about Kim Holm, you can check out his page at cartoonarchy.com. That's C-A-R-T-O-O-N-A-R-C-H-Y, like anarchy, cartoonarchy.com. See some of his work there, learn a little about him there. And then we'll, of course, put links in the show notes to Pikmin's model, as well as a place where you can purchase this really interesting and really well done 24-hour comic memory written by H.P. Lovecraft 
illustrated by Kim Holm. Thanks again, Kim. As always, we enjoy your work and look forward to your future work. Thanks for listening to Geek Life. We always love to hear from our listeners. Please email us at geeklife at pandamanga.com with your questions, comments, and insights. Anyone interested in becoming a PM contributor can visit our contact page at contact.pandamanga.com and complete the form located there. This is for anybody who's interested in submitting a comic to be hosted on the website, suggesting a comic for us to talk about on the podcast, or they just would like to see us, you know, maybe promote their comic or promote their Kickstarter or something like that. We're always looking to lift up and help out and champion the self-published comic book and artist. It's definitely, definitely our heart goes out to you guys. So anybody who's interested in, in that or would like to help help a friend or have us help your project out, then just let us know and go to contact.pandamanga.com and send us your info. Music has been provided by AirPlus Recordings. As always, links to the artists and songs featured on this episode are available in the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. As always, links to the artists and songs featured on this episode are available in the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. If you'd like more information about AirPlus Recordings, visit airplusrecordings.com. This is Marcus. Read some comics. What if he was on that train, and then he called you right now, and he was like, Hey, it's me, Kim, from Norway. I'm here from, from the train. Come pick me up, and I'll be on your podcast. That's probably that, that's that how, people, nothing. That how people sound from Norway. That's just what people sound like when I don't know where they're from. <laughs> yes. Yes. It sounds like he's, he's Borat. He could have mm-hmm. been from Africa, and I'd have been like, It's me, Kim, from Africa. <laughs>